We're going to transition now in worship through the Word, and, and I would just encourage you to go ahead and grab a Bible. We're going to be in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. We're actually going to read the whole passage, 14 through 26, um, and I was slated to preach this whole passage in one week, and as I was dealing with it, I realized that's not going to happen, uh, so I broke it into two weeks, and then as I was just thinking on it this morning, I realized it may take three. So... We'll see where my timer's at when I get to a certain place. And we'll, I, may, I may, as they say in golf, lay up. I may shoot short this week so that, uh, for which many of you will be grateful. Um, well, let's stop. Let's stop. Stop. Let's think about the word. Sorry. Here we go. So what we're going to do, we're going to read the whole passage. We'll pray. And then we'll, we'll dive in. So, so beginning in verse 14 of James chapter 2, the Lord's word says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that apart from works, or, or that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed and God, or Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for your word. Think about just even in the conversation in the equipped class beforehand, just the importance of your word. How desperately we need it. I'm grateful that you meet us in it. Thankful that your eternal nature, your power, your presence, your plan in the gospel. And even... Even our right response to you is recorded within. Help us now. Help us to know. Help us to understand. Give us insight and wisdom so that we might walk in faith. I pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So faith is a critical component in the life of Christians, right? I mean, I think we can all easily enough agree on that, but, but I just want to set a stage for that. I just want to remind us, or have it in our mind, why it's so critical. I mean, it's foundational to the doctrine of salvation, right? There is no salvation apart from faith. 
You may also remember from church history in the Protestant Reformation that, that faith, sola fide, was one of the, the five uh, solas that was proclaimed uh, over and over. Sola fide, by the way, means by faith alone. It's a declaration that our salvation, that our justification, our right standing before God is by faith alone and not by our works. But more than doctrinal statements in church history, the the Bible emphasizes the role of faith for God's people. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, he spends a whole chapter depicting this this beautiful faith in God. But he tells us in Hebrews 11.6 that without faith, it's impossible to please God. That seems pretty important. You can't even please him without faith. Paul, writing to the, to the church in Rome, tells us that anything done in, not, not done in faith or done not in faith is sin. Anything that you do that isn't an expression of your faith in God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is sin. That's pretty important. That really sets the stage, Right? That's not an isolated thing that he said either. He tells the Corinthian church that, that faith this defines this whole stage of our life. He told them that our walk is by faith, not by sight. There's coming a day when faith will be replaced by sight, but everything in this life right now, in the already, is measured in faith. Maybe one of the most famous is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of your own doing is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Faith is critical. I don't think I can overemphasize that. I mean, I think I could, I could go a long ways to speaking in hyperbole, exaggerating it, And I wouldn't come close to really emphasizing how critical faith is to the Christian life. So I think we need to take it seriously. This can't just be one of those religious words that we just throw around and don't really understand, can't really define. I can use it in a sentence, but I don't really know what it means. If I'm challenged to to define it, I I don't really get it. I think it's vital. So it surprises me when I read this passage, and that's easy, right? So we're there, right? I think we'd all agree. But I'm surprised when I read this passage from James, who doesn't just emphasize the role of faith, but also the role of works. You see, what he's done is he's not just said faith is important. What you do is important. Three times he tells us this. Faith without works is not good faith. Verse 17, faith without works is dead. Verse 20, faith apart from the works is useless. Verse 26, faith apart from the works it, uh, apart from works is dead. And he has the he has the nerve to say in verse 24 that a man isn't just justified by faith but also works. From the moment he's opened his letter, you just consider what James has been doing. From the moment he's opened his letter, James has been commanding people over and over 
that claim Christ. He's been commanding them time and again as an expression of their faith in their, in their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that they are to act in a certain way. He's going to continue that. We're, we're just in chapter 2. There's still three more chapters to go. He's not finished telling us how we should live. But now he comes to the point where he's going to help us understand why obedience to these commands is so important, so critical. And he does it in a way that maybe, and rightfully so, shakes us. See, we're not at the beginning of the days of the church. We've had years and years and years. In fact, none of us sitting in this room lived in a day when Christ wasn't a risen Savior. We're not living in a time where we were told that we were to observe the law to maintain a covenant with God. We live in the days of the Protestant Reformation where we have fought against works. But it shakes us. And I think it's good that it shakes us. Because he shows us the relationship between faith and works that make the case that faith that is not accompanied by works is not a saving faith. James is not allowing a cultural Christianity to exist. He is fighting against a person saying one thing with their mouth while they believe another thing in their heart. He is standing starkly against those who would come and and pretend to be something they are not. He presents his readers with a question in verse 14. If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Can that faith be a justifying faith? Can it be a a faith that, that enables us to stand before God and receive the righteousness of Christ? His answer in verse 24 is, is, is no. He seems to, be, to, to give this answer when he says that a person is justified by works and not faith alone. Well, because of the importance of our life, that's, this, this is why. This is why I realize I, we can't cover this in a week. Because we need to be challenged by it. We need to see the importance of faith We need to see the vital nature of faith that works. And we're going to do this by, by really asking a question ourselves. It's kind of a summary of what he asked. But it goes in line also with what we have always been taught. We're justified by faith alone. And so, so here's the question. Is a person saved by faith, by works, or by faith and works? You've already heard me reference church history, Christian doctrine, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. This isn't some secondary tertiary doctrine that we can say, okay, well, we can, you know, have unity even though, even though uh, we don't agree. There's a lot of things like that in Christianity, but this is not one of them. This is one of those hills to die on. This is a close-handed issue. This is something that unites us to one another and divides us from the rest of the world. 
This is, this is not my determination. This, this is the teaching of the scripture. That, that it, it's got to be that clear. It's no small thing. It's central to our understanding of the gospel. And rightly so. It, it should be. Because it's so clearly taught over and over and over in the scripture. That we have to understand how in the world James can say something so starkly different or so seemingly starkly different than what Paul said in Ephesians. How do we, how do we reconcile what apparently seems to be a contradiction? Who's right? Is a person saved by faith, by works, or by faith and works? Depending on when you place the timing of James' letter determines, usually determines why you believe he wrote this. Some people have a very early date of James' letter, think that it's one of the first written to the, to the church in the, in the late 40s. Some people believe that he's, it's written in the late 60s just before he dies and, and he is writing and actually trying to correct some of the misunderstandings that people had when it came to, to Paul's teaching. Not correct Paul, but correct the abuse of the doctrines that Paul taught. Well, I guess we'll get to ask him which is true when we, we see him in heaven. But I just want you to see clearly why we would fight so hard for justification by faith alone before we move on to see why we can't walk away from the idea that we're justified by faith. By, by works and faith. So Paul, in his longest and most detailed teaching of the gospel in the book of Romans, writes this, Romans 3.28, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So the, the foundation of the gospel that, that Paul is writing in Romans, he sets up the need for the gospel, the brokenness of mankind, and he gets to Romans chapter 3 and he demonstrates that no one is righteous, not one person seeks after God, that we have all sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and none of us have any standing before him. And then he comes and says, we then, we know that there, no one is justified apart from, or by I'm sorry, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That means that we gain our right standing before God, not by what we've done and our obedience to God's law, but by trusting God. In Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, it's a letter filled with encouragement and and joy. I mean, it's one of the lightest and most... uh, uh, encouraging letters, I don't know a better word to use, in, in the New Testament. He writes this, speaking of Christ, that we want to be found in him, Philippians 3, 9, and be found in him, that's Christ, be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. I can't make myself righteous. I can't obey the law enough to make myself righteous. And we, we even heard James say last week that if you've broken one law, you're a lawbreaker. So, so we know that that's true. Righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. There is no righteousness that we can claim except by faith. Then 
in the letter to the church at Galatia, Paul was rebutting the teachers, the teaching of the Judaizers. The Judaizers were a people who were kind of they were following around, following Paul around, and he would go in and he would preach the gospel, and they'd come in and say, "Oh, by the way, here's this whole list of rules. You got to obey these. We need you to get circumcised." Well, I mean, I would people cringe at that anyway, but but the reality is Paul's cringing because what they're doing is encouraging these new Christians, these Gentile Christians that then become obedient to and find their righteousness in the law. And he writes this, and he has some strong words for the Galatians. I mean, you can read the letter, but he writes this, Galatians 2, 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I think he said it every way it could be said in that one phrase. But later in the letter, he states the importance of being justified by faith alone this way, Galatians 5, 1 through 3. For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So here's the idea that he's, that he's pressing upon them. He's saying if you're going to take on circumcision as you're standing in your acceptance and as part of God's covenant people, then you, can't, you don't just stop at circumcision. You've got to do it all. You've got to take the whole thing. You can't take just a part of it. You've got to take the whole Law. But today, now, we read from James, and at first glance, it seems like, how are they in the same book? How in the world do we reconcile what seems to be such an apparent contradiction? Paul says clearly that we are justified by faith alone. James says plainly that we are justified by faith and works. Well, what we can clearly see is that neither James nor Paul say that we can be justified by our works. So no, are we, are we, are we saved by our works? No, period, right? Not works. It's not a works-based religion. And there's another point of agreement. It's the object of the faith. You know, we didn't read it in the passage, but if, if you look back at the beginning of chapter 2, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. There is an agreement that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has to be the object of this faith, right? So, so we can see there are definite points of agreement, and over and over, Paul pointed out that it was faith in Christ, right? So now Paul or, or James is in agreement. There's, there's definite points of agreement. And really understand then if they're disagreeing about justification by faith or by faith and works, we have to step back and consider the context. The context of the passages, the, the context of the people that they were writing to, and the, and the purposes for which they were writing. And to do that, I, I, I brought some uh, what I believe to be some, some helpful quotes from people much smarter than I uh, that have studied this much deeper than I. Um, and, and so I, I want to share them with you. The first demonstrates their, their, the purpose for which they were writing 
was different. And it's one of the reasons that what they say is different. Douglas Moo is, over and over, uh, he is considered to be one of the guys that has written one of the best commentaries on the book of James. I don't know how they determine that. I've not read every commentary on the book of James. I don't know if there's one person that's read every commentary on the book of James. But based on all of the, I, I use several different rub, uh, people that point out best commentaries for a book, and, and he's consistently at the top of the list. This is what he says. Paul strikes at legalism, James at quietism. Each message needs to be heard. Paul is writing to a people who are seeking to prove themselves by their works, to prove their righteousness, to, to, if you will, they are legalistic people who are trying to demonstrate that that faith isn't as, as important as works because, look, I'll be good enough. I can obey enough and diminish my need for faith. That's legalism. If your obedience and seeking to obey God's law is so that you can prove to him that you are good enough to be accepted in his kingdom, then you are a legalist. You're a Pharisee. It will never happen. You need to hear Paul's words. We are not justified by works. We are justified by faith in Christ. On the other hand, James is writing to people who think it's enough simply to say, I have faith. I said a prayer when I was a kid. I'm a Christian. Don't you know that that I said these words once? But then it not be demonstrated in any aspect of their life. If that's you, then you're living in a place I would say is licentious. You're living and in, in running into the extremes of license. I said, I believe, now there is no rule or reign of Christ in my life. I am my own person. I'll go do my own thing. He has no authority or place to tell me. But hey, when I get to, when I get to death and when, when it's time, he's going to save me because I said this prayer once. You need to hear James' words. We are not justified by faith. That doesn't work. You see, it's Moo's stance, Douglas Moo's stance, that um, they're not contradictory, but complementary and addressed to radically different circumstances. The second perspective it also comes from Douglas Moo. He's written, he, the, the first one was from Pillar New Testament Commentary. This one is from Tyndale New Testament Commentary. He writes this, the difference between Paul and James consists in the sequence of works and conversion. Paul denies any efficacy to the pre-conversion works, but James is pleading for the absolute necessity of post-conversion works. Another commentator and pastor, R. Kent Hughes, in his commentary agreed with this, and he writes, Paul was fighting against tradition which promoted a false works salvation. James was fighting against a light Faith, which minimized the necessity of works after coming to Christ. Paul says works cannot bring us to Christ. James says after we come to Christ, they are imperative. 
I know, I know my position. And I know that I'm in disagreement with many scholars in the world today because they would seek to make an argument between James and Peter. Or I'm saying James and Paul. You're like, why Peter? That's said anything about Peter. James and Paul. It's good that I listen to myself sometimes up here. But here's the thing. I think when we look at the context, when we look at what James has been saying, what he's addressed, how he's addressed this letter, how he's been, been hammering on the commands and not applying them to people in the world, but specifically applying them to brothers and sisters in Christ, I think this is exactly what he's saying. And in a world where we have made faith seemingly insignificant, where we can simply say, I have faith, and then go about living our life, keeping our name on a church roster, trying to come and vote and determine how the church is going to go and what the church is going to do, and, and even make ourselves feel somewhat secure because one time I said these words. We, we live in an age of easy believism where we discount the grace and glory of the gospel. We desperately need to hear James' message. Oh, we fought back against legalism. We, we, that, that, was, that, that, that was happening in the, the last 10, 15, 20 years, and we have run so far into grace that now, if we say anything about anyone's sin or challenge anyone to pursue holiness, we're called legalists. There's a drastic difference between legalism and obedience. Legalism seeks to earn its righteousness. Obedience simply says, because I have been made righteous, I want to live like it. Brothers and sisters, I think they're complementary. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Everything not done in faith is a sin. Those were Paul's words. Both of those, both of those demonstrate to us that there's no way that my, my good works, that my earning of righteousness can ever precede the, the giving of righteousness. Because if I don't have faith, my works can't be good. They can't be God-honoring. If I have not expressed faith in Jesus Christ, then the only work I have to offer is what Paul said in the book of Philippians is dung. But he used a stronger word. It's worthless. It's empty, powerless to make a difference and be acceptable to God. It's like standing there holding rubbish in my hand, black trash bags full of dung, and saying, look, God, what I did for you. You cannot work your way to His favor. We cannot do that. And so lay your deadly doings down. But James, he's writing to a people who walk around saying things like, hey, if you need help, let me know. But if you don't say anything, I'm going to be over here doing my own thing, loving myself, taking care of myself, not really concerned about what's happening over there. 
So James is talking to a people who say, well, we're not under that law anymore. There's no reason for obedience anymore. There's no reason that I just go and do whatever I want. God's accepted me. See, he's writing to a people who he says that if your faith is real and true, if it is a saving faith, then it is a faith that works. You see, really what we have in these two teachings, and, and this is where, this is where well, here we go. So probably going to be on three weeks. Um, we have to have an understanding of what conversion is, what, what being saved is. See, a lot of people would suggest, and I'll just use this as, I'll use this as an illustration, and then I'll, I'll state the principle that I'm trying to get at. So we're doing work in Africa. We walk into the village, and there are no believers in the village. None. I mean, both villages we're working in, no believers were, were there when we started. No one was, no one was uh, bringing the gospel to them. They had no inclination to believe, nothing. So we go in, we start preaching the gospel. We start telling them about Jesus. And there have been some that have said something Along this line, I mean, maybe not a word for word quote, but uh, let's just get them to pray and God will sort out the rest. You know how damning that is? How absolutely damning it is to say, we'll get them to pray and then just assume that it's true and not ever seek to be concerned if it's really changed them, or better yet, and a better, healthier way to understand it, is that they were changed and converted, regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God so that they could begin to actually believe and then pray. You see, it's an unfortunate reality that that doesn't just happen in Africa. It happens every week at altar calls when well-meaning pastors stand in front of congregations and seek to coerce people to come down front to make themselves feel good about what just happened in the service. I have friends that count, uh, count it a success if lots of people come down and pray and they think they failed if no one does. Now, I don't know what's really happening in the people that come down and pray. I was one that walked an aisle and prayed with a pastor. I can tell you I did that because in the moments before it, God woke me up and showed me my sin, and he showed me his grace, and I wanted nothing more than to run and pray. See, I'd been converted. I had been changed so that my new life could express faith and repentance. This whole idea... Just get them to say a prayer, and eventually they'll come along. That's evil. That's the devil. Conversion and a right understanding of conversion is being demonstrated by these, by these two facets of the same teaching. If someone is going to respond to Christ and it be the kind of works that James is talking about, it is going to, because, going to be because faith and the work of God and the favor of God is already on them and has preceded that response. Because faith 
in Christ must be present for our work to be good. We can't respond and think faith will follow. We can't dream up the idea that if we just get somebody to say these magic words. The reality is. That Paul is right. We are justified by faith. Without works of the law. But James is right. We are justified, and the faith that saves is a faith that ultimately longs to obey, longs to submit, longs to honor God with their whole life, has a whole new set of desires, has a whole new set of priorities, has a whole new set of purposes for their life. Christian, we are saved by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the faith that saves is a faith that works. It's not a faith that just says things. It's it's not a faith that just claims things. It's not not a a, a belief that's just intellectual floating around in our head. It's not not an expression that that doesn't affect our whole life. You see, not only is faith critical to the life uh, or to the doctrine of of the gospel not only is it critical to us in our understanding of how we're saved it is critical to the rule of our whole life because faith isn't something we express in a moment when we finally realize we're sinners in the hands of a god whose wrath is against us faith is the expression that rules every aspect of our life from here on out and so if our faith is not expressed toward Christ, then our action will not direct us toward Christ. If our faith is in Christ, then we are not just going to trust Him as our Savior when we die. We are going to trust Him as our Lord today. We are going to trust Him as the, power, as the source of the power that we now express, that we walk in. Faith is not something we needed once. Faith is not something that will be important when we die. Faith matters every day of our life. So let me ask you this question. I'm laying up, right? Because we can't handle everything that's in, these, in this passage. Let me ask you this question. How do you determine what your faith is in? How do you know if you're trusting Christ? You might start by saying, well, I've got the right doctrine. Oh, okay. He, I was a sinner. He lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death. He rose again on the third day, and he's promised that any who believe in him would have eternal life. And I, I believe in him. I trust him. How do you know that's true? Look at your life. 
Look at what you do and why you do it. Think, think about it. Why'd you get up and come to church this morning? Was it to worship because God is glorious and worthy of it? Or was it because if I didn't, I wouldn't be counted righteous? Why is it that coming to church on a Sunday is so difficult? Is it because we believe that there are other things more enjoyable and better to do? You know that there's a statistic statistic today, and the statistics are what statistics are. Uh, You can make them mean a lot of different things, but there's a statistic by those who measure growth of the church and things like that. There's a statistic today that on any given Sunday, you're only ever dealing with about, I think the number is 70% of your church, that on average, our generation in this time, that people are on a three-week rotation. I come every third week. Why is that? Except that we might believe there are better, more enjoyable things to do. It's funny because on days when it rains and the weather's bad, Numbers go down. On days like today, where it's going to be sunny and nice, numbers go down. Why is that the case? Except that we believe something other than that the Lord Jesus Christ is glorious and worthy to be worshipped. Now, don't, don't hear me being legalistic. That's not my intention. We miss church, right? I miss church. There's weeks that I purposefully don't come here. It's right and good. It's okay if you miss church. But why do you miss church? Or why do you prioritize church? You see, James is hitting at the heart of quietism. I don't need church, I'm safe. Paul is hitting at the heart of legalism. I need church because that's what makes me righteous. Both would say, absolutely not. And in fact, since we talk so much about the distinction or the difference, let me just show you that they are not in disagreement. Paul writing to the Ephesians agreed wholeheartedly with James. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 is one everybody knows, and so often we leave out verse 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He's the object of that faith for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And in case you're not familiar with the book of Ephesians... After you get past the first three chapters, it's command after command after command after command. Brothers and sisters, we are saved by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the faith that saves us is a faith that works 
Jesus taught the same thing in the parable of the sower. The seed was thrown, landed on four types of soils. The three soils never produced fruit. They were shown to be what they were. But the good soil, the soil that represented a heart that would respond to the gospel in faith, he says, produced a crop a hundredfold and in another sixtyfold and in another thirtyfold. His point was that faith will always produce a response in, in the life of a person. It will always change the direction for which they go. It will always produce good works. It may be more or less than some other person, but the fruit of those works or the fruit of that faith will be borne out in that person's life. Even the claims of the Protestant Reformation understood the importance of works that follow faith. In a response to the Council of Trent, John Calvin writes this, It is therefore faith alone which justifies, and yet faith which justifies is not alone. Just as it, as it is the heat alone of the sun which warms the earth, and yet in the sun it is not alone because it, constantly, it is constantly conjoined with the light. We are saved by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the faith that saves is a faith that works. More next week. Let's pray.